Take your Bibles, go with me to the book of Acts, if you would please, to the book of Acts and chapter 22, the book of Acts and chapter 22, and God called me to this ministry 20 years ago. I have founded four different ministries. This is the fourth one and uh, very exciting called the Prayer Partnership that uh, the Mission to America uh, basically hosts, bringing pastors to pray for our elected officials. And, and here's the thing. For too long, <clears throat> we've allowed other people to speak for us. It's time that we start speaking for ourselves. I remember a story of a milk farmer. And this milk farmer had a favorite cow by the name of Bessie. The vet couldn't come to him on his milk farm, so he got his cow Bessie, loaded her up on his trailer, and he was going to take her uh, to the vets. <clears throat> so on the way there, he got into an accident. This tractor-trailer truck ran into the side of him, and, and uh, so he was trying to get some of the damages back of this favorite milk cow, and, and uh, the trucking company that had caused the accident had basically acquired a uh, hotshot lawyer. And so he was trying to disparage the character of this simple farmer on the stand. And uh, he said, sir, you told the officer on the scene of the accident that you were just fine. Now you claim you had a broken leg. Did you tell the officer on the scene of the accident that you were just fine? He said, well, I was loading my favorite cow, Bessie, under my trailer. He said, I didn't ask you that. I asked you if you told the officer on the scene of the accident that you were just fine. Now you claim you had a broken leg. Did you tell the officer on the scene of the accident that you were just fine? Again, the farmer said, I was loading my favorite cow, Bessie, under my trailer. Well, the lawyer got exasperated, looked at the judge, said, Your Honor, would you please direct this witness to answer my question? He didn't take into account, though, that the judge was also a milk farmer. And now he was interested in that favorite cow, Bessie. He said, let him answer for himself. Let him speak for himself. He said, all right, sir, go ahead. He said, well, I was loading my favorite cow, Bessie, into my trailer to take her to the vets. And my dog, Blue, jumped into the cab next to me. And I got into the truck. And I was proceeding through a green light, tractor trailer. The poor fellow must have been tired or something. But he ran the red light, smashed into the side of us. My, gal, my cow, Bessie, was thrown in one direction. My dog blew in another, and I in a third, and I landed and broke my leg very badly, compound fracture. Couldn't get up to tend to my animals, but I could tell, even though I couldn't see her, that my cow Bessie was some major duress. My dog Blue was yelping, and the, the officer came at the scene of the accident, walked over. I didn't see what he was doing, but knew my cow Bessie wasn't going to be able to make it, so he took his service revolver out and shot her between the eyes, put her out of her misery. Went over to my dog, had three broken legs, very badly damaged, knew my dog wasn't going to make it. So again, humanely shot him between his eyes, put him out of his misery. Then he came over to me with a revolver, still in his hand, said, how are you doing? <laughs> and I said, I'm doing just fine. <laughs> so we need to start speaking for ourselves. Amen. We need to get prayed up, stand up and speak up, speaking the truth to power, reminding them. They're not public officials. They're public servants. They are there to represent the real government. I ask young people all over the United States when I go to speak in colleges and high schools, I said, where does the government sit? Well, it sits in the nation's capital, maybe our capital here and, and our city mayors. I said, no, no, no. I'm looking at the government. See, our documents begin with the words, we the people. Those folks in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill your people here in the Florida State House, that I was here just recently, and your city councils and your school boards, they are servants of you, 
of us, the government. But if we start thinking and turning our back and thinking, allowing them to think that the new, they are the new aristocracy, they're going to start telling us what they want us to do without our Constitution instead of us telling them what they need to do through and by the Constitution of the United States. And so we need to understand a little bit more about liberty. And I want you to see here in Acts 22, this is Paul talking about the very same type of concept of what freedom, what liberty is. Now, Paul's giving his defense before the multitude. Most of them are Hebrews. He's speaking to them in the Hebrew. He is the Hebrew of the Hebrews. He sat at the seat of Gamaliel. He's an intellect. He is someone that God uses in a mighty way. But right now, he's basically giving them an answer as to why he has changed his position against the first century Christians. And he talks about all the different things that he did and that he was the one that held the coats of the men that stoned Stephen. Regrets. And then he goes on and he talks about what God called him to do. And they're giving him attendance because he's speaking to them in their language. But in verse 21, things change. Because he says here, and he said unto me, this is Paul referring to God, depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. He's recounting to them that life-changing experience on the road to Damascus when he meets the Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, that they're looking for. He said, I met him. He told me, depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Oh, but there's a problem in the mindset of the Jew at this time with Gentiles. Why? Because they looked at us like cur dogs. And a lot of times we were. We were the heathen. Okay? And it says that God had sent him far hence unto the Gentiles. Look at this in verse 22. And they gave him audience unto this word. I believe that word Gentiles. And then lifted up their voices and said away with such a fellow. From the, the earth, for he for is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, those leather straps, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went, and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? And he said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great summum tate I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was free born. I want to talk about the stewardship of liberty. Heavenly Father, thank you now for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for this church, for this pastor, for the staff, for these people that have come to hear from thee today. As I step back now and surrender everything that I am to you, Lord, articulate my speech, clarify, establish, and direct my thoughts. But most of all, Lord, through and by your Holy Spirit, indwell me. I surrender everything that I am to you and open up everything that I am to you. So, Lord, use me to deliver what you would have to each and every person here today. And Father, we ask through and by the holy unction 
that only you can give, that you would allow your Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God, the Spirit of truth, His presence to be here today, palpable, powerful, and that our minds and hearts would be open unto Him, that He would lead and guide us into all truth. Show us those things to come. And we, we will be very careful to give you all the praise and glory for what you are about to do. For we ask it in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, and by the power, the merit, and the authority that is the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I have a question for us today, and that is this. Do we really appreciate liberty? Before you say that, you need to think about this. If we're honest, all of us would say, no, I really don't. Now, why would we have to say that? Because it's just human nature. If you don't work for something, you have to work at appreciating it. I remember my dad, World War II veteran, wanted me to have the things that he didn't have. And so before I turned 16, he took me to an auction. This was back in the 60s. And he bought me a 1956 Vitesse Triumph sports car. Real wood dash, four on the floor, convertible, six cylinders, one barrel carburetors. We bought it for $60. Those days are gone, so forget about it, okay? But $60, and it was a beautiful little sports car. We put cross-tread Pirelli racing tires on it, new clutch and pressure plate, and, and it ran like a house on fire. Now, my dad told me the day before I turned 16, son, I've never received one ticket. I want you to match my record. He shouldn't have bought me a sports car. Because I turned 16 the next day, got my license, and my first traffic ticket. I was not enjoying my birthday. I knew I was going to have to go home, face some music. My mom said, don't say anything to him until he's eaten his dinner. <laughs> Smart lady, my mama. He, my dad worked for the Atomic Energy Commission coming through the traffic of D.C. Once he went ahead and ate his food and settled down. Everyone was supposed to leave, and then I was going to broach the subject. Everyone did leave, except for my little sister that wanted to watch the fireworks. And so I told my dad, and you could tell I was sweating bullets, Dad, I don't think I'm going to quite match your driving record. And he frowned at me, and my little sister started giggling right on cue. I, I should have paid her. And he looked at the glee on her face and the consternation on my face, and said, what happened, son? I said, I got my first traffic ticket today. And there was a silence as if an eternity. Finally, my dad said, well, I guess the pressure's off. And it was. I knew I was going to live another day unmaimed, okay? But I said all that to say this. My dad didn't make me work for that little sports car. I never really appreciated it. I sold it a few years later made a profit on it, but just didn't appreciate that wonderful little gift that my dad had given me. Why? Because I didn't work for it. It's human nature. If we don't work for something, we have to work at appreciating it. How many times do we appreciate things once they're gone? We appreciate people once they're gone. The elderly appreciate their health once it's gone. What I'm saying is, while we still have liberty right here in America, why don't we appreciate it? Now, how do we appreciate it? You know how? By understanding what it is. By from that understanding, 
getting a little greater appreciation than a commitment to hold on to it. Because I've talked to people that have come here just recently in Idaho, a man from Russia, and he said, I came here to obtain freedom, but it seems like you're letting it just go through your fingers. Why don't people appreciate it more? I said, the reason why is because most people have never done anything for it. You see the dynamic exchange between these two men? One man, the chief captain, he was a man over centurions, and every centurion was over a hundred Roman soldiers. Can you just imagine him walking in to this slight figure called Paul, dressed in the robes of the day, and here is this chief captain coming in with all the regalia of a Roman officer with the mail and the, and the red cape and Probably, as he told Paul with a great sum obtainer that's freedom, you could probably see the scars in his face. What he was saying was, I went almost up to the point of death many times, and now Caesar granted me my freedom. I worked for it. Paul says, I was freeborn. And so, why don't we just take a look at three things this morning? And from these three things, hopefully obtain a little greater understanding, appreciation, and commitment. Because if we don't, may I say, our freedom is going to be gone quicker than we can even imagine. We have no idea how close we came just recently to losing everything. Most Christians, let alone Americans, have no idea if the filibuster had not, the filibuster and the cloture had not been preserved that the left-wing people could have done anything they wanted to. They could have packed the courts and changed them into a mechanism for social reengineering. They could have brought two more states into our country that would have been left-wing states. We would have never had a free and fair election again. But God rose up two Democratic senators. Isn't that crazy? I think that's crazy. Two Democratic senators that saw the importance of protecting the filibuster. A lot of times people don't even know what the filibuster is. If the House brings a bill, a bad law to the Senate to pass, then the Senate basically can go to a filibuster to where that bill will just go in endless types of debate forever until there's over 60 people, 60 senators, that say it needs to stop. So they can basically stop the madness coming from the House at the Senate. The only problem was it was 50-50. And if Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, Kirsten Sinema, a very unlikely candidate to do this, but they both did it, they hadn't done it, our liberty would have been gone. Then, Joe Manchin, the only Democratic senator, voted against the abortion bill that would have ingrained abortion into our society And it would have been a hard road to hoe for Roe v. Wade to be overturned. And he was the only one that voted against that. And then he was the only one that voted against the $6 trillion Build Back Bozo bill that Sleepy Joe wanted to pass. Say $6 trillion. Well, see, we don't understand the concept of trillion. Let me just kind of give you a greater understanding of it. The difference between a million, a billion, and a trillion, okay? Because right now we're over $31 trillion in debt. But uh, if you take those three amounts and transform them into seconds, 
A million in seconds would be 12 days. A billion would be 31 years. A trillion would be 31,688 years. And it would have destroyed our nation. It would have plunged us into a Great Depression. God raised up a Democratic senator to uphold life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't know about you. That tells me God's still in control. And so what I'm saying is we need to understand how quickly we could see our country just evaporate before us. I don't want to see that happen. So I want to give you three things this morning that will help us, I think, to understand what we can do. And we can do so much more than what we can even conceive. And I'm going to be going into that even greater detail tonight about what we can do. But I just want to basically show you some unique things. Number one, the origin of liberty. Where does liberty come from? We sing that song, My Country, Tis of Thee. We could really sing, My Country is Because of You, God. Why? Because the origin of liberty is from God. He is the author of liberty. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, why do we have so much liberty in America? Because this nation was birthed through and by the holy word of God. And men that were moved, men and women, by the way, that were moved by the Spirit of God. I mean, we woke up in a miracle today called the United States of America. Isn't that something? See, most people don't even conceive that. How how many in here, be honest, how many in here, when you woke up this morning, you said, I just woke up in a miracle today. Yeah, there's not a hand raised. Because we wouldn't think about that normally. But by the way, That's no pie in the sky. That's the truth. We should never have won the war for independence. The only reason we did was because God fought for us. You understand that, right? And by the way, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a walking, talking miracle. Amen? You know where I I deserve to be today? In hell. And by the way, that's what you deserve too. (laughs) But we're not there. Oh, man, we're in church with other believers. It's it's air conditioned. I kind of like that. Amen. Yeah. Air conditioned. You're sitting on padded pews. How they feel, sister? Good. Yeah. I'm walking around on carpeted floors. I'm preaching behind a pulpit. Wow. And, And you still have Easter thing on it. That's good, too, because he is risen. Amen. And we should celebrate that every single day of the year. Amen. But what I'm saying, hear me, hear me. We woke up in a miracle today because God was the one that founded this nation. I don't know about you. That's a wonderful thing. And the reflection of the spiritual liberty in Christ is what we all live in, in the civil liberty that we hold dear here in America. Now, it's not a perfect reflection because the spiritual liberty is perfect. But here's the thing. I sure am glad when I was 21 years old that someone took the Bible and showed me how I could know for sure when I died I was going to heaven. Amen. Amen. 21 years old. And I didn't know why I was driving from Maryland to Virginia to the Twin Oaks Baptist Church after hours to sit in a pastor's office. And I didn't know why I was going there. 
but I sure didn't know when I left there why I was going there. Because he showed me something that I never really understood before. If you had asked me, I was, I'm a Christian, I'd say, well, of course I am. Well, why do you think you're a Christian? Well, because I believe the word of God and because I believe there's a hell to gain and heaven to shun. Because I believe Jesus Christ on the cross and shed his blood for, for sinners. He said, well, th- you were a Christian? No, I wasn't. I was on my way to hell. Believe in all that? Yes. The devil and his angels believe and tremble. Belief isn't enough. You need to act on your belief. Oh, I sure am glad that that man took the Bible and showed me how to act on my my belief. Hey, look, if you think you're a Christian by being in the church today, you're no more a Christian by walking into church than you are an automobile by walking into a garage. It makes all the difference in the world when you get to a point where you realize you're a sinner. And because the wages of your sin, you're going to hell. See, I always thought, well, how can a loving God ever send anyone to hell? He doesn't. (laughs) The wages of our sin sends us there. It's death. It's eternal death. But here's the good thing. Ah, here's the other side. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow. And there's no way you can earn a gift. Isn't that good? You can't earn it by being good enough, by giving a certain amount of money. By doing what you do in the church, nothing. God's looking down at us and he says, your righteousness is as filthy rags. It's for by grace you save through faith and that not of yourselves, not of works. Lest any man should boast. I sure am glad when that guy told me, hey, do you know you're a sinner? I said, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. He said, because you sinned, you get it now? You're going to hell? Yeah, but the gift of God's eternal life because Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood for you? I said, I get it. I get it. He said, I said, what do I need to do? He said, simply do this. Turn your back on your way and start going God's way. That's repenting from your way. I said, I don't know if I can even stop doing the things. Some of the things that I, I, I just don't think I, I would want to right now. He said, you don't have to want to. You just desire to start living God's way. He'll give you the want to. So I said, well, I'm turning my back because I don't want to go to hell. The fear of man is beginning of wisdom. Fear of God. I said, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because I've sinned, I, I'm going to go to the devil's hell, but you died on the cross to pay the, the wages of my sin. And I'm going to accept you as my Savior right now. Come into my heart and be the master of my life and the Savior of my soul. Man! Woo! Say, what do you get excited about? I'm going to heaven! <laughs> you know, I'm not getting over it. I've met some Christians that seem like they have. Say, what do you mean? Because I ask them, how are you doing? I know they're saved. They, they profess they're saved. I say, how are you doing? They say, fine. I feel like saying, tell your face about it. They look like they've been eating oatmeal out of a gas pipe. Can you imagine going to someone's door, knocking on the door? Hello, I'd like to tell you about what God did for me and giving me great joy. I don't think so. I'll see you later, right? I mean, I, I feel like saying to some people, does your face hurt you because it's killing me. <laughs> you know, smile a while. Give your face a rest. You've heard that old song. Amen. Yeah. Hey, look, 
What we need to do is get excited about the fact that we're on our way to heaven. Woo! I don't know about you. Marriage supper of the Lamb. (laughs) Calorie free. Bless God. Amen. How long are we going to eat for? I don't know. There won't be any time in heaven. (laughs) Come on, work with me here. Hey, I'm on my way. What about you? I don't care how many times you've read the Bible. I don't care how often you pray. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Wait a minute, Brother Harding. I thought we were talking about liberty. We are. The liberty that America was based upon. You know why we founded this nation? For the propagation of the Christian faith. For the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When those pilgrim forefathers sailed towards the coastline, up there in the New England states, they said, we're doing this, hear me now, by the will of God, for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, it's time we get excited. The world will know when we're excited. There's something about sincerity you just can't mask. Amen? You know traveling, traveling is really... It's kind of arduous. I see people all the time pulling their bag <laughs> through the airports. I go, hey, how you doing? Huh? How you doing? Oh, okay. I, I take the challenge to get people to smile. Yeah. I even wave at people I don't know passing in a car. <laughs> and, they'll, and they'll go, who is, who is that? I, you say you're crazy. Yeah, but I'm a good crazy. I'm having a lot more fun than most Christians. What I'm saying, time we get excited about the fact that we have the eternal gift that God died on the cross. Liberty is from God. Here's the thing. How on earth do we expect when we don't vote and we allow the natural man to get into office... Who receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness unto them, neither can they know them, they're blinded to them, to expect anything but what we're getting right now. But you know, here's the problem. Big, big difference between 2016 and 2020. Say they cheated. Oh yeah, they did. Been cheating for a long time. But the big difference between 2016 and 2020 Christians didn't vote. 20 million less, 20 million plus less Christians voted in 2020 than they did in 2016. There's a problem. That's why we don't have President Trump and we have Sleepy Joe. Say, well, I didn't like President Trump. Well, I didn't ask you if you liked him or not. He did more for our country in four years than most people even thought about doing in eight years. So I don't, I don't like some of the words. Neither do I like some of the words he uses. But I sure am glad that he did what he did for us. Aren't you glad that he moved our embassy to Jerusalem? Aren't you glad that he brought our GDP to where it was? A record so we could actually exist and get through the Wuhan virus from China? I see, I don't pull any punches. Uh, by this time, <clears throat> there's someone that says, I don't think you're politically correct. Thank you. <laughs> well, I don't mean that as a compliment. Well, I take it as one. 
Because I don't want to. We're about to politically correct ourselves into oblivion. I want to be biblically correct. Historically correct. His story and constitutionally correct. That's what we should all want to be as Christians. But when we elect a natural man, you say, well, the, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about voting. Oh, yes, it does. Go with me to Proverbs. Are you with me today? Say amen. amen. Go with me to Proverbs. Let me show you something very quickly that we need to all understand. Because if you say, or if anyone you know says, it doesn't matter, they're going to cheat anyway, why should I vote? then you're part of the problem, not part of the solution, and that's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. There's over 80 million born-again believers in America. You need to get out and vote. I sure am glad I'm in Florida. I like Florida. I like your governor. I, 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 this was the state that truly did have the red wave because your governor just did away with a lot of the nefarious things about voting that the leftists try to put in. But let me show you something about voting in Proverbs 16. And look at verse 33. Because the vote in the Bible is called the lot. Are you with me today? Say amen. amen. Okay, are you looking at your Bibles? Amen. Do you got your Bibles? Amen. Please have your Bibles. Okay. Proverbs 16, verse 33. The lot is cast, that's the vote, into the lap. But the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Who gives us the vote? God gave us the vote. You know how? Through veterans that died on battlefields that are still right now fighting on The lot is cast into thy lap. Well, wait a minute. <clears throat> the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. That's why I vote biblical principles. I don't vote party politics. I vote biblical principles. I vote for the party that is the closest to that book right there we call the Bible. Amen? That's we all, You know why? Because the vote doesn't belong to us. I just, in June, said goodbye to a very dear friend, the last Medal of Honor recipient from World War II that was still alive at 98, Woody Williams. 473 men were given the, our nation's highest valor of honor for courage under fire. He was the last one of the 473, 478. And I remember him saying when he stood before the commandant of the Marine Corps, after Harry Truman had put the Medal of Honor around his neck, he just passed away in June, a tremendous Christian man. Harry Truman put that Medal of Honor around his neck and whispered in his ear, I'd rather have this medal than to be the President of the United States. He said, then I got more nervous. I said, how could you get more nervous? You've already met the president. He said, because for a 20-some-year-old, he said, I wasn't saved then. I'm going to meet the commandant. And to us, the commandant's next to God. So he walked in. The commandant, there he was, also recipient of the Medal of Honor from Guadalcanal. And he looked at my friend Woody Williams. And he said, now, son, that medal doesn't belong to you. It belongs to all the men that didn't make it back home. You're just the keeper of the medal. And don't you ever do anything with your life that would disparage the meaning of that medal that hangs around your neck. I thought, and of course, Woody was a consummate Christian gentleman. I saw him do amazing things that I don't have time to go into. I said, that's like us with the vote. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to all those people that gave that last good measure or to keep it, maintain it, secure it for us. And by the way, it also belongs to the next generation. Yeah. 
that is hoping that we vote biblical values. So, well, how should I know who to vote for? Find out where they stand on the life of the unborn. And if you find that out and they're squared away on that, they're going to be squared away probably on 98% of all the rest of the stuff. But we, each and every one of us, has to understand that the true liberty of man is to know, obey, and enjoy his creator and to do all the good unto and enjoy all the happiness in his fellow creatures. We are a Christian nation, even though we may not be acting like it. Hey, and someone said, well, <clears throat> that's, va- that's very divisive. Aren't we all supposed to be joining hands in Kumbaya? No. I don't try to be divisive. I always have the right position, the right disposition. But you do understand that light divides from darkness and salt from the purification of sin. And Jesus Christ, when he came, oh, he, he came to give peace on earth. He didn't. Listen to Luke twelve fifty one. This is the Son of Man personified as a man here on earth speaking. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth. I tell you nay, but rather division. Oh, people, they were divided. Division among the people because of him. Division among the Jews for these sayings. What do you think some of the sayings were? How about where the Lord said, I am the way? You know what the world says? Oh, there's a bunch of different ways to God. No. God says there's only one way, and he's the way. He says, I am the way, the truth. Oh, there's a bunch of different, there's truth in this book and truth in, no. God in the flesh said he was the truth. Truth has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. The truth, the way, amen. God says, look, there's only one way, one, one way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so we need to understand that. Number two, very quickly, and I'm running out of time. Liberty must be guarded. It's got to be guarded. If you are a Christian, you need to guard yourself so the spiritual liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ can continue to grow. You'll never lose that. We are people that believe in eternal security. Once saved, always saved. But you can live far below your level of abundant life if you go back into sin. So it must be guarded outside of Washington, D.C.'s National Archives building are these words. Listen. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. But may I ask, have we been vigilant? Have we kept our public schools in check? Teaching our young people that there is a God, that there is someone who they need to be accountable to, and from that faith virtue that protects them from other young people, and only then you add education, knowledge, as it says in Second Peter? No. We've not been vigilant. And so our young people, when they go to public schools, they're going to indoctrination stations. Right. Saying, well, <clears throat> you need to choose your gender. No, you don't need... How on earth can you get a young person to w- expect them to choose their gender when they can't even choose the clothes that they wear? You know what that says? Choose your gender... That means God makes mistakes. No, God doesn't make mistakes. Just like your pastor said, every person has been born of a woman, and they've been born as a man or a woman. Amen? God doesn't make mistakes. 
But that's what they say, and that's what they claim. So we need to understand. Look, when Rome fell, do you understand, it wasn't because of the armies mobilizing outside against her. It was because of the corruption within, because they didn't guard what they had in their type of republic. Let me just quickly give you this. This is from the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, completed in 1787 by Edward Gibbon. Listen to this. I'm going to give you three things. Number one, ancient Romans. See if it's not here in America as well, because history repeats itself. Number one, the rapid increase of divorce. The undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis of human society. An increasing obsession with sex. Ancient Rome. See that today in America? Are you with me? Number two, higher and higher taxes and spending money. Public money for free bread and circuses for the populace. An increasing desire to live off of the state. Ancient Rome. You see that in America today? Welfare. There's too many people on welfare that shouldn't be there, that don't need to be there. And I know there's some people that are legitimately infirm, but most of the people there shouldn't be there. Ben Franklin said something very interesting. They that can give up essential liberty to obtain temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. You know what the government says? I'm going to give you free stuff. But you know what they want? They want freedom. When they want free stuff, they want to give us free stuff. They want freedom. That's never a good choice. I'm not going to give my freedom for free stuff. In fact, I don't want the government doing anything for me that I can do for myself. We want the government to get out of the way. The government is not the solution. The government's the problem. Small government, it's a beast. Even our founding fathers said it was a beast. And it needs to be chained down. And if it gets loose, it starts eating its own. Hey, you know what the chain is? It's the Constitution. You know the government got loose? And it has eaten 62 plus million of our citizens. Tortured them to death. Through abortion. Saying they're fetuses. They're not fetuses. They're babies. Follow all, we're going to follow the science. <clears throat> Keep your hands off my body. Well, here's something you can follow. DNA has proven that a woman, that is not her body. The DNA proves it's a different body. Follow that science. Are you with me today? Say amen. amen. So here's the third thing from the, fall, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. The mad craze for pleasure. Sports becoming more and more exciting, more brutal. Enthusiasms pretending to be creativity and freakishness in the arts. My wife, I met my wife. We've been married for 47 years. I met her in art class. Brother Bloom, she was working on a drawing. She was 17. Mr. Bloom, she was 17, I was 20. I walked over and I said, oh, very nice. She said, oh, you like my drawing? I said, I wasn't talking about the drawing. (laughs) She kind of giggled. It worked. It's 47 years later. Here we are. Young men, leave that to the professionals, okay? Just... Now look, some of you visitors, if you don't like me, come back next week. You'll like Brother Bloom, okay? (laughs) What I'm saying is, hey, we've gone to the arts, uh, the galleries in Washington, the National Galleries, and I know what galleries not to go into, okay? The ones, you know, but I know the ones that we can go into and appreciate the fine arts and the masters as they have in Washington. But I wandered into this gallery one time, and it was a moving exhibit. It was modernism. 
And there was a painting, get this now, there was a painting that looked like someone had tripped over buckets of paint and they had splattered on the canvas and they hung it up. And there were two people talking. So I walked over to see what they were saying. There was one person that wanted to know and another person that was a self-proclaimed authority. And so the one person was looking at this splattering of paint and they were saying, well, what's that? And the other person said, oh, that's a great work of art. Oh, well, how much is that worth? Oh, the authority said, that's priceless. Oh, well, what's that entitled? And the authority said, oh, that's entitled man's inner struggle with self. And I felt like saying, yes, and he lost right there. Because it looked like someone got sick on a canvas and hung it up. You say, well, you know, modern art, and it's, it's whatever you think it is. Uh, uh, uh. That's humanism in the visual form. There is an absolute truth we base our whole life and eternity on it. It's called the Word of God. And we're supposed to be epistles to that absolute truth. There's, there's no gray area with God. It's right or wrong, up or down, in or out. Amen? Are you with me today? One last thing, and I'm done. True liberty always comes at great personal sacrifice. John Adams to Abigail, November 1778, quote, It seems to be the intention of heaven that we should be taught the full value of our liberty by the dearness of the purchase, end quote. How does a man gain liberty? He is willing to put his life on the line. He puts his life on the line and liberty above his life. You understand the founding fathers, they signed a document called the Declaration of Independence. 56 men. You understand that, right? And you understand that those men, when they signed that document, only not even one third of the populace was on the side of the patriots. See, we always think, you know, when they saw George Washington coming, John Adams, they were getting ready to pucker. Most of our population were getting ready to spit because they looked at those men as traitors to the king. But see, they knew, just like Patrick Henry knew, when he said and was talking against the king and they yelled at him, Treason! Treason! You're speaking against the king! He said, I serve a king higher than the king of England. I serve the king of kings and lord of lords. If this be treason against a man, let us make most of it. I kind of like that. Amen. But they mutually pledged to each other their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. But before they said that, you know what they said? with firm reliance upon the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other. Do you know why you can think free today? You know why there's no borders between one state and another? You know why you can do whatever you want to do as long as it doesn't hurt someone else in our country? You can do, you have the liberty to do what's right. It's because 56 men signed with a feather of a bird, a goose quill pen, a parchment which was a skin of an animal, and we still benefit from that today. And then those men, most of them, ran out into battle and fought. Only six of the 56 made it back to sign the Constitution about a decade later.
I've been given some amazing opportunities in my life. I'm very thankful to God. I always wanted to go over to Normandy, France. I saw that movie. I said, I want to go. I want to walk through that graveyard. I want to see where D-Day occurred. I, I, I want to go. Lord, could I go? Would you let me go someday? My pastor at the time, you know how God does. He answers us exceeding abundantly above. Amen. And uh, so my pastor called and said, how would you like to go and lecture on a portion of D-Day to an officer's training session over in Normandy? I went, thank you, Lord. <laughs> he, uh, he said, we're going to go. And, but what I didn't know was, when I sat down on the plane, one of the men going with us was a veteran from D-Day. We flew from Dulles, Virginia, to Cannes, France. Eight hours through the night. He was in his 80s at that time. I kept on asking him questions. Question after question. Knowing he was 84, I'd say every once in a while, Bill, um, would you like to get some sleep? He said, no, you have another question. Oh, yeah. I kept him up all night long. Poor guy. But he he wanted to answer my questions. When we got over there, we were standing on the portion of beach that we had termed Omaha. Bill was there. It was a beautiful sunny day. Everyone was walking around. I looked behind him. The bunkers that the Nazis were shooting at our men were still there. Cement reinforced bunkers. Some of the literal girders that they had put in the sand, badly rusted, were still there as well. And I asked Bill, knowing what I was about to ask him, because World War II guys don't like to talk about this. I said, Bill, I've never, ever been shot at in battle. So I need to work at appreciating the liberty that you worked in order to preserve for me. Would you tell me what it was like? Well, by that time, we had gotten to know each other enough. And I remember Bill looked out into the water because I was told right where we were standing Within 15 minutes, 190 men had died in the first wave of our men coming into Omaha. He said, as far as you can see, ships and boats of every size and description. He said, sometimes the sky was almost overcast with planes bringing in men and munitions. He said, I didn't get in on D-Day, probably D-Day plus one. I was in one of those Higgins transport boats. And when we did get to the beach, I saw a horrendous sight. That plank went down and I saw the bodies of our men strewn all over in every imaginable position, floating face down the water, their life blood ebbing out. He said, we tried to be as respectful as we walked over the bodies and Some of the men were still alive. They were moaning. And so we knelt down and cradled their head and gave them some of our water from our canteen. Tried to do something for them. Our commander came over and saw what we were doing and said, these men are going to have to wait for the next available medic. Our orders are clear. This is far from over. We are to push in and engage the enemy. As Bill told me that, I wondered in my mind, What is it in the heart of an American serviceman to run into the face of certain death? 
to see a friend that he went through boot camp with. He knows him, where he's from, what his aspirations in life are. He's seen his photographs of family, and he sees him die and give his life for a few feet. He goes past him, gives his life. His friend comes past him. I said, what is it that, that in the American mindset? And then God showed me. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I thought, that's it. Christian nation. And you know, I'm so thankful that I'm free from the tyranny of man because of biblical aspects that God put into the hearts of our service people. But I'm even more infinitely thankful that I'm free from the tyranny of sin. Because the sacrifice of our men is just a reflection of the greatest sacrifice in time and eternity where Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood for you and I. I'm free from the penalty of sin. I'm free from the power of sin. And one day, we will all be free from the presence of sin if we've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Our nation was given to us for the gospel's sake. Peace and prosperity, yes, but they're a byproduct of liberty. I think it would be very honored by God if we today, when I give the word, come to an old-fashioned altar and just thank God for all of those numberless people that have run into the face of certain death and died so that we could live our life free today. How often has it been since we've come to an altar and just thank God that we woke up in a miracle called America because God did something so unique here. The only other nation in the history of mankind that started from the Word of God. I'm going to give that invitation to you in just a moment. But before we do, I wonder who you are. And I believe in a congregation this large, there's someone that still hasn't got their destination settled. Oh, maybe someone even thinks you are Christian. Maybe you say, well, I would be embarrassed. You're going to be a lot more embarrassed at the great white throne judgment when the Lord looks at you when it's too late and says, depart from me into the lake of fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. I never knew you. Why don't you take today as an opportunity to get that done and settled once and for all? The stewardship of liberty. It's given to us. But there, I believe, is at least one person here, you've never even accepted that spiritual liberty yet. Oh, we have the key that will unlock the chains of the power of sin in your life, of the penalty of sin. So may I ask if you would close your eyes and bow your heads.